Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Good to have you joining us live stream this morning from your homes all over the country. Isaiah 43 this morning as we continue our series through the book of Isaiah. Where can God's people stand in a world of shifting sand? And last week we talked about the fact that in life there will be times where we are getting ready to go into a fire. There may be times where we're literally in a fire, figuratively, and there will be times where we're coming out of a fire, but that's life. Well, today in Isaiah 43, God, through his prophet, is going to be talking to a people in the fire. They are in exile. It's one of the things that makes Isaiah unique among all the prophets of God. He not only speaks to a people before they go into exile, a people while they're in exile, but a people who are coming out of exile. And I want to divide our passage this morning up into two sections. First of all, God wants to come and he wants to reassure his people. He wants to bring them comfort. And the second thing God wants to do is to remind them of their calling, of their purpose, if you will, before the Lord. Some of you here today, some of you who are watching today, you are in a place, a season in life where what you are dealing with seems insurmountable. It seems hopeless. It seems impossible. It seems overwhelming. It's as if I, I can't see myself out of this. I, I, I just believe that this is, this is the way it's going to be and I've got a deal type of thing. It is especially for those people here today that God has a message for you. That with God, there is never a situation or circumstance in our life that is ever insurmountable, impossible, hopeless, and overwhelming. So I want to direct your attention, first of all, to chapter 43 where God has been telling his people, look, you, you are in exile. And we know the story of this exile. There's a whole book devoted to the story of this exile in Babylon. It's the book of Daniel, right? And so we can even bring some of our understanding and knowledge of the book of Daniel even to this because Isaiah is talking to these people, not just Daniel and his friends that we learn about in that book, but so many thousands of other Jews who went into exile during this time, taken captive. I mean, think about it. Try to, again, we've never been there, but try to put yourself in that place. This is your home. And now some foreign nation, some other superpower comes into our country and literally takes thousands of us away, and now we're literally deported to another country another culture, another language, another way of doing things, and we've got to try to 
make the best of it. How would we react to such a life-altering situation like that? You see, because the reason why God's people felt that this was impossible, hopeless, overwhelming, and insurmountable is that there had never been a nation or a group of people who ever came out of exile as a nation, as a whole. Any people who had ever been placed into exile, and even up to this time in history, always they were assimilated into that nation or that culture. And they never became a nation or a whole people again. It's never happened before Israel. It's never happened since Israel. But it did happen with God's people. God preserved his people through this exile, through this fire, and brought them out of the fire. And as we know, reassembled them and gathered them from every nation on the planet and reassembled them as a nation in 1947. Israel became a nation again. Not in the too distant past. So here's what the Lord says. Verse 1, chapter 43, to his people. Thousands of years ago, and yet still has tremendous relevance to us today. God could be saying these words just to you and to your heart today. I am the one who created you, O Jacob. And that word created means from a design or a blueprint. God didn't create any of us including the whole nation of Israel, apart from a design or a blueprint. You here today are an individual, special, unique creation of God, and he didn't just haphazardly bring you into existence. Before he even brought you about, he created as a sort of an architect or designer this blueprint for you. Exactly how he wanted you to be. You, you're, there's nothing that is accidental about you. From the color of your skin to the color of your eyes to the color of your hair to every detail about you, God designed each of us. And God even wants that fact to be an encouragement to us. We're not an accident. We're not here by chance or some just, you know, evolutionary process. No, we are here by the design and creation of God. And then he says, I'm also the one who formed you. This is a word that is used for an artist. It's why the Bible portrays God many times as the potter who has this clay in his hands that he is molding and shaping and creating into a masterpiece. And this word speaks about being formed with a purpose and for a purpose. Even though many human beings today struggle with, why am I here? Because they're not connected to the God who created them. God wants his people to understand, I not only designed you, and created you from a blueprint, and nothing about you is accidental, but that I created you for a purpose and with a purpose in mind for your life on this earth, just as he did the nation of Israel. 
And then he goes ahead and says, so don't be afraid. In fact, he repeats this phrase again in verse 5. Don't be afraid. Yes, you may be away from your homeland. You may be away from your family. You may be trying to navigate a whole different life. You may feel like you are right smack dab in the middle of a fire. But God is saying to his people, stand in awe of no one or nothing but me. That's what it means to not be afraid. The more we are in awe of our God and who he is and who he is to us and who he made us to be, the less we will be fearful and afraid of anyone or anything else that could ever come into our lives and touch us. God wants his people to live fearlessly no matter the season, the circumstances, or the situation. For God goes on to say, for I will protect you. Literally, it's I will redeem you. It's the same word and the same concept that a whole book of the Bible is written about, the book of Ruth. So again, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, bring that understanding and that knowledge into What's going on here? God is saying, I am your kinsman redeemer. I'm your Boaz, the one that Ruth could not help herself. She could not get out of the fix that she was in. She could not get out of the debt that she owed. And yet here comes Boaz, willing to come alongside of her, willing to pay all of her debt, willing to set her up for success, willing to be all that she needed to be in order to prosper and and thrive in this life. And God is saying, that's who I am to my people. I not only created you, and formed you, I have redeemed you. I have paid a price for you. I bought you with the blood of my own son. Therefore, don't you think I will protect you? And that's the reason why the Net Bible translates this word instead of redeem as protect, because the one who redeems is going to protect the one that they have redeemed. God is saying, do you think I went through all that to bring you out here and then just sort of let you go and flounder and not provide for you and not protect you? kind of God do you think I am? He had to repeat this in the book of Exodus. After he redeemed and brought his people out of bondage in Egypt. And you know the story. They're out there and they're murmuring and they're complaining like, oh God, why didn't you send us back to Egypt? It was better back in Egypt. And God said, do you think I did all that with Pharaoh and I performed all those miracles and those signs and I I did all that and I brought you out just to bring you out to the desert and just let you die out here? You think that's who I am? No way. And so God is saying to every one of us, do you think I sent my own son to die on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven so that by faith in my son you can have a relationship with me for all of eternity? And do you think now at any point in your life that I'm just going to sort of let you go and, and not be there for you? No. The one who redeems us also provides and protects us. He says, 
You realize, realize how personal and intimate this is for me. I call you by name, Israel. You are mine. You belong to me. Therefore, I will take responsibility for you. And God would say the same thing to each and every one of us today, not just to a nation of people like Israel, but to every one of us. He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head, if we have it. He knows every detail about us. And as God's children, we belong to him. So then notice verse 2. Another reason why the Net Bible translates the word redeem as protect in verse 2 is because verse 2 now uses very bold imagery to express this divine protection. And notice something very important in verse 2. These phrases do not begin with the word if, but with the word when. It is not a question in our life whether we will pass through deep waters. It is not a question at times in our life that we will pass through flooded streams. It is not a question in our life that there will be times where we will pass through fire. It's just a matter of when. And God wants to remind us of that. And so God says, when you pass through the water, I'm with you, and I will bring you through those deep waters. When you pass through the flooded streams, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. Notice another key word in that verse. It's not when, it's now the word through that's also used every time. God wants us to understand that we are a through people. We're not a avoid people. We're not an around people. We're not an escape people. We're a through people. We don't like to go through deep waters and flooded streams and fires in our life, figuratively speaking. We want to avoid it. God says, no, that's just not reality. We want to escape it. We want to pretend like they're not there. And God says, I need you to buy in to this plan and purpose. I need to take you through these things. I need you to be willing to go through these things with me and trust me, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. Therefore, I will be with you and I will provide and protect you when you go through these things. God needs his people to, to be willing to do that. And we know from the book of Daniel, God was faithful to this. Because God was with Daniel's friends when they literally went through a fire when Nebuchadnezzar threw him into the furnace. And we know that God was with Daniel when he was thrown into the den of lions and God protected him too. So God is giving example that I was true to my word. I didn't have you escape the lion's den, but I brought you through the lion's den. And I didn't have you escape the fire, but I brought you through the fire. And God wants all of us to understand that today. 
We cannot avoid the deep waters, the flooded streams, and the fires of life. But with God, we can get through them all. And there is no deep water, no flooded stream, no great fire that is insurmountable, hopeless, overwhelming, and impossible for our God. For then notice what he says. For I am the Lord your God. Don't miss those two words, I am. They're going to come up later in the message, and they're going to come up big time next week in the message. He is the great I am. He is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the covenant name of God, the one who can be trusted, relied upon, and depended upon. And he is the great and mighty God, Elohim. He is the Holy One or the Holy Other One of Israel. And then he reminds them, I'm your deliverer. I'm your savior. I'm your sufficiency. I brought you into the exile. I can take you out of the exile. Do you believe today that God is sufficient for you? Do you believe today that he is your deliverer, your rescuer, your savior? And not just the time that you placed your faith in Christ as your savior, but that he is your savior, your rescuer, your deliverer, your whole life until you go to meet him in glory one day. He can bring you through anything because no one can deliver except God. Notice he goes on to tell them in verse 3, I basically moved heaven and earth for you. That's what he means when he says, I've handed over Egypt as a ransom price, Ethiopia and Seba in place of you. I moved nations for you, Israel, to bring about your release from exile. I moved kings. I moved kingdoms. I can move the universe for you. And God says, I'm the only one that can do that. And that shows my commitment to you, my people. And then God says this, and I hope that you may take some of the principles and verses out of this and that you'll just mark them big time in your Bible, that maybe you'll put them around your house, you'll Put them on your refrigerator. You'll put them on three-by-five cards and take them with you. You'll put them in your car as you travel. You will remind yourself of these things that God is saying to his people today. And you know what God says about his people? Verse 4, you are precious. means highly valued. Do you see yourself as God sees you? You, every last one of you, all of you watching, you are precious to God. And then he goes on as if that wouldn't be enough. He says, oh, and you are special in my sight. You are set apart. You are distinguished from all other creation. Do you see yourself as special in God's sight? And then he says, oh, I love you. And the, the tense that he's using there is to his people, I will always love you. I have always loved you. Remember, refer back to verse 1. 
I created you from a design and blueprint. I formed you with a plan and purpose for your life. I redeemed you. Therefore, I will provide and protect you because you are special. You are precious, and I love you and will always love you. There will never be a time in our life throughout eternity that God stops loving us. Therefore, he says, I will move heaven and earth for you. I will hand over people in place of you, nations in place of your life. So then again in verse 5, God reemphasizes, don't be afraid. And one more reassurance, one more encouragement, for I am with you. I am your constant companion. You, you will never be anywhere at any time doing anything that I'm not right there with you. And we again know this to be true from the book of Daniel, even specifically written to these people in exile in Babylon, because when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, looked into that fire, he didn't just see three young men in that fire. He saw three young men plus one like the son of man. God was with them in the fire. And God is with you right now in your fire. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. And that's why twice in this passage to reassure and comfort his people either as they're getting ready to go into a fire or in the midst of the fire, don't be afraid. And he piles on the encouragement and the reassurance. But then I want to get to the second part. And that is that God also is saying to his people in this passage, not only do I want to reassure you and comfort you and bring encouragement to you in the midst of your fire, I also want to remind you of my plan and purpose for you and that you have a calling upon your life as my people. And he wants all of us to understand that calling as his people today. What is that calling? Well, go down to verse 7, and then we'll jump from there to verse 10. And we'll come back to verse 7 a little bit later. God says, everyone who belongs to me, I created for my glory, whom I formed, yes, whom I made. In other words, Every human being that ever came into existence on earth, God created for his glory. And one of the things that we need to expand maybe our understanding of, God isn't just talking about those that know him, those that have a relationship with him, but even those who don't. Because we're going to see as we move through the book of Isaiah that God even uses those who don't know him, don't even respect him, don't even acknowledge him to bring him glory. Let's go back to the story of Moses and the Exodus. Did not God say, I raised up Pharaoh? 
to bring me glory? Absolutely. You see, God is glorified in everyone whether they even realize it or not because God's going to use them to accomplish his plan and his purpose on this earth. He is the sovereign God who's in control. Even of those who don't know him or acknowledge him, and they're clueless, but they're instruments in God's hands. You and I, though, as God's people, need to be reminded we are created for the glory of God. What's that mean? What's it mean that God created me for his glory? It means so that I may be seen, God, through my people for how great I am, for how good I am, for how gracious I am, for how glorious I am. That I, God, may be seen through my people and all people, how great I am, how good I am, how gracious and glorious I am. That's what it means to be created for his glory. So the question we have to ask ourselves as the people of God is, how clearly is my life revealing and expressing how great God is? And that's why God calls his people to trust him and to not be afraid and to be a through people and to live confidently because he's with us and he loves us and we're special and we're precious and he created us and he formed us and he redeemed us and all these things because God wants his greatness and goodness and graciousness and gloriousness to be seen through us. But if we go through life fearful and losing our composure and lacking, you know, faith and all of that, then God's greatness and glory and, and all of that and goodness can't as clearly be seen. We're projecting a, in a sense, a false picture of who our God is because we're freaking out about everything that goes on and we're, we get so filled with anxiety and stress as if God doesn't exist or God doesn't care about me or God's not in control and somehow then God's image, if you will, even to others through our lives sort of becomes marred. And notice what then God says in verse 10 to his people, and he repeats this twice, just as he does, do not be afraid, in the earlier passage. In verse 10, and towards the end of verse 12, he says this to his people, you are my witnesses. It means to testify, to give evidence. God says, I want to reassure my people. I want to comfort you today. I want to encourage you today because I know you're in the fire. I get it, and I'm going to be right there with you. But God also says you've got to understand that while you're in that fire, you're my witnesses. You are to be a testimony of me, of my greatness and goodness. 
You are, to, you are to give evidence that I'm real, I'm alive, I'm sufficient. And again, go back to the book of Daniel. Did not Daniel and his friends do that when they had the opportunity? Daniel could have said, I'll bow, I'll bow. No, he said, throw me in the lion's den. Did Daniel's friends bow to the image? No, they said, throw me into the fire. We want our lives to be a witness to the greatness of our God, to the glory of our God, to the goodness of our God, to the graciousness of our God. And if we have to go into the fire to show you how great our God is, that's what we'll do. And that's exactly what happened. When Nebuchadnezzar saw that that son of man was in the fire with them, his whole perspective on who God really was changed. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar even became a believer in Jehovah. I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. You know why Nebuchadnezzar is there? Yes, because of the grace of God and the goodness of God, but also because there were three young men in exile in Babylon who were willing to take on the responsibility and the calling of being a witness for God even through their fire and to let other people see, I don't care what we're going through in our life right now, our God is bigger and we know that our God has created us, he's formed us, he's redeemed us, he'll provide for us, he'll protect us, he is with us, we are special to him, we are precious to him, God's got us in this, we're going to witness that to others. You are my witnesses, God says. Notice verse 10, you are my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe in me. That's what the word consider means, to know God. And we're going to talk way more about that next week. What does it mean to know God? And the word believe, I love this in the Hebrew. It literally, and if you, if you write in your Bible, if you mark your Bible, I would do so because this goes along with the whole sermon series in Isaiah. Where do God's people stand in a world of shifting sand? The word believe means to stand firm. So notice what God is saying. First of all, before you can be a witness and give evidence and testify to me in your life, you need to first know me and continue to grow in knowing me, and you need to stand firm in me, finding your surety, security, and stability in me. That's what God calls his people to. Because let's face it, logical progression. You and I as God's people can't be a great witness, testimony, or give evidence to others about how great and good and glorious and gracious and all of that our God is if we first are not standing firm in him. If we're back and forth, unstable, insecure. If we're projecting insecurity and instability, then we're not standing firm in God. And not only then does that not affect us, that affects our witness. And that's why, just one of the reasons, and I'm not going to pretend to know all the reasons why God does things, because again, we've talked about, I don't want to bring God down to my level either. But I think one of the reasons why God allowed that pandemic and all the stuff that we've been through in the world the last couple years is because that was partially a test for God's people. 
Where are you going to stand when the world turns upside down? Where are my people going to stand? Where am I going to find them when the world is chaotic and crazy? Where are my people going to be? I'm going to let them go into the fire just like I let my people in the Old Testament go into the fire. And I want to see, where's the foundation of their life? Are they really standing firm in me? Or have they found other false foundations in their life that once those are pulled out, they don't know what to do? Notice. God goes on to say, you're not only my servant whom I've chosen so that you may consider and believe in me, but so that you can understand that I am. (laughs) I am. Do we believe that the Lord is the great I am? And then the great I am says, no God was ever formed before me and none will outlive me. I, I am the Lord, and there is no deliverer, no savior, no rescuer besides me. So many human beings today are in a situation in their life, a fire in their life, and they're trying everything else to get them through. They're trying every other means imaginable to deliver, to rescue, to save them because they're in a situation that they can't get out of themselves and they're looking around for who can get them out of this or through this and none of us can because God even says, you realize there's no real deliverance apart from me. But the cool thing is, with God, God is also saying in that, even though there's no one else who can save you or deliver you or rescue you, when I save you and rescue you and deliver you, oh, you're really saved. You are really delivered. You are really rescued. I can take any one of you out of the deepest pit you could ever find yourself in in this life and I can bring you out of that pit once and for all and you'll never go back. That's the kind of God I am. Do we stand firm in our God today? God says, verse 12, I decreed and delivered and proclaimed that there's no other God among you. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. And then he says this, From this day forward, I am, I am he, and no one can deliver from my power. I will act, and who can prevent it? God is basically saying, your God, my people, I'm unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. If I, as God, choose to do something, is there anyone or anything that can stop me from doing what I want to do? Let me ask you this morning, can you stop God from doing what God wants to do? Can you? Can all of us put together stop God from what God wants to do? Can all the legions of hell put together? Satan, everybody, can they stop God from doing what God wants to do? No. So God is saying to his people, I'm going to bring you out of Babylon one day. 
I'm going to deliver you. And no one's going to stop me. Do you believe that? Do you, do you somehow think that this is a contest between your God and Babylon? Because if it is, that's no contest. And God is saying the same thing to you and I today. He's saying whatever got you, whatever's gripped you, whatever's wrapped around you, whatever's bringing you down, whatever's got you to this point, whatever you think you've struggled with for years and years and years that's insurmountable, hopeless, inconceivable to ever get past it, overwhelming and impossible, God is saying, if you let me come in, nothing can stand up to me. Nothing. I'm greater than all of it. But do you believe? Do you understand who I am? I am. Are you standing firm in me? Knowing, knowing you're God, knowing I created you, knowing I formed you, knowing I redeemed you, therefore I will provide and protect you, knowing you're special to me, knowing you're precious in my sight, knowing I will always love you and always be with you. If you knew your God and you stood in awe of your God instead of anyone or anything else, then even in the midst of your exile, even in the midst of your fire, even when you go through the deep waters and the flooded streams, you would know that I can bring you through and bring you out of it and bring you to a different place because I'm not a God who sent my own son to die on the cross for you and somehow at any point in your life, I'm just going to let go of you and not care. Why would I have done that? And so God, in a sense, is using Isaiah's message in chapter 43 to get his people back to refocus a little bit. To receive the reassurance and the comfort and the encouragement that God wants to give to every last one of us. Because we're either getting ready to go into a fire, we're in a fire, we're coming out and we're going to eventually go into another one or to remind us of our calling before God. That all human beings were created for God's glory. And that especially as God's people, we are to be God's servants. We are to be God's witnesses. Every day we are to give evidence and testimony to the greatness, goodness, graciousness, and glory of our God. But the only way to do that is that, first of all, you and I have to stand firm in him. And that's what God's calling us to do today, to stand firm in our God and take heart, if you will, because you're special. You're precious. He loves you, and he will always be with you.
There is no situations in life insurmountable, hopeless, overwhelming, or impossible. Let's believe in our God today. Amen. I'm going to ask our worship team to come at this time. And as they're coming, only God knows what all of us in here are dealing with today, wrestling with today, struggling with today. What burden or care or weight we brought into this. And the same thing is true with those of you who are watching from your homes today. Only God knows. But God also wants to say to all of us today, I'm your answer. I'm your answer. There is no one who can deliver but me. I can bring you through. So would you stand? And I'm going to pray and just ask that all of us today would just say, God, I'm going to stand firm in you today. I may be in deep water. I may be in a flooded stream. I may be in a fire right now, but I'm going to stand firm in you. Lord, thank you for the wonderful, encouraging, uplifting, soul-stirring time of worship that we've already had in your house. A time, God, where we were reminded through the songs of praise that we sung, Lord, just who you are and who you are to us and Lord, what you can be and what you can do for your people. And God, I pray that the same thing was true as we came into your word today as well. That God, all of us were reminded about not only who you are, but who we are to you and who you are to us. And that God, there's no firmer place for any of us to stand at any time in our life than in you, to make you the very foundation and the only foundation of our life. And so, Lord, as we wrap up our time together as your people in your house, would you just help all of us to feel like we are standing on the rock of Jesus, that we are on firm ground right now, even firmer than the, the ground we're standing on, God, is you. And we can find our hope and take our courage and our confidence from standing on you. Help us to feel, God, even tangibly, that, that solid ground that we're standing on today, that it's more solid than the earth that it's more solid than anything in the universe, that it's stronger than any other element, God. It's you. And God, we are standing on you today. So may we take heart in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.